Hello and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Bree. And today we have joining us author Adele Buck. We are so excited to have you join us on the podcast today. Please tell us a little about yourself. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, and I am a writer of about a decade. Uh, I have published six novels and a novella, all romance. By day, I'm an instructional technology librarian at a law school in Washington, D.C. So um, my life is uh, not all about writing, but I almost wish it could be sometimes. Okay, I have to ask before Aaron gets into icebreakers, like, how did you become an instructional technology library? Like, were you a kid? Like, I want to be a, a librarian, and then you ended up <laughs> on this path. Like, one doesn't set out to be an instructional technology librarian, I'm assuming. One does not. Uh, so here's the thing. I my My resume, as my mother would put it, looks like a ping pong ball in a garbage can, just like <laughs> all over the place, right? <laughs> I started life from age 10 to 21. I was an actress and a stage manager. Okay. And when I got, and I was, I have a degree, an undergraduate degree in theater and acting. And I got to age 21, I was about to graduate early. And I realized that acting had become work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I didn't want if I was going to work for a living, I was going to actually a do that thing, not waitress while I tried to do the thing. Right. Um, and I wanted to make some money. So I had a really good GPA and I had gone to a good prep school beforehand. And so I applied to law school because, you know, that's what you do in the early 90s when you're in a recession and you're saying, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't make anything happen. So I went to law school and I ended up not practicing. I ended up working in a in capital markets and investor relations. I know you don't set out as a child with stars (laughs) in your eyes saying, I want to work for the NASDAQ stock market and in investor relations. What the heck is that? I won't go into it. Um, And then when the 2008 recession hit, I had a BlackBerry that could have been designated by the FDA as an abuse delivery device. Oh my gosh. And I had a stress level that you could not believe. And my husband is is an academic law librarian. Uh, and I had to, I had gotten laid off as one did when one worked in capital markets and investor relations in 2008 and one's company was tanking. Um, and I had to go to outplacement, county outplacement before I could collect unemployment. The idea of taking on another investor relations job just maybe want to crawl into a hole and die. Like and I will do I, anything other than that. <laughs> yeah. And I I kept looking at my husband and saying, he leaves his work at work mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted nothing more than that. Um, and so I said I, I called him or emailed him when we were at our lunch break on this two-day outplacement. And I said, I just I think I want to go back to school again for library science. And he said, okay, we'll make it work in that way that people who support you and love you do when you actually don't know exactly how that's going to work out. And then the next day he emails me and we live in Maryland and he emails me with this notification from the University of Maryland's library science program that they were opening up a a satellite degree point um, 10 minutes from our house. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And that, and this was spring and that they were waiving the application deadlines so that the, you could be eligible for admission that fall. So just a few months later. Yeah. So it was like all these dominoes fell and I I got, I got a TA ship because I had experience in, in communications and they needed that help with the library science program. Uh, I I got a job with a legal publisher, a new legal news publisher, uh, doing indexing of all things, which was 
a really terrible kind of a job in terms of burnout and boredom, but it was actually a great job because if you talk about leaving a, your work at work, there are no indexing emergencies, let me yeah. tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing and for so, you to take home. <laughs> and in two, in two years, um, I had graduated and I the University of Maryland's law school had put out this notice for this job. And I was always a geek. I was always like, I was always the troubleshooter. I was always the person that like, if you can't get IT, you know, get Adele, she'll, she'll help you. I mean, in my library science program, I was kind of in the middle. I was in my late thirties. And so it was like a bunch of older women who were empty nesting it and wanted a new challenge and a bunch of mostly young women right out of college. Mm -hmm. And the young women imprinted on me like a baby duck. And the the older women, it was kind of exhausting, actually. It was lovely, <laughs> but it was exhausting. Um, and, the, and the older women in, the, in our technology classes found me to be less intimidating than the 22-year-olds. So I literally, I mean, like going to the technology class was kind of cardio for me because I was forever hopping up and going over to help this person or that person or, you know, and, uh, and so I knew I, I knew I still had some skills. I had, you know, I'd built a few websites myself. I had done these things. And so the University of Maryland advertised for an instructional technology librarian that, you know, using media. And to teach uh, and uh, you know doing recordings and also teaching in the classroom, and it was like it was like somebody had looked at my entire life and said we're going to write this job description especially for Adele. Wow! Wow! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I thought this is great. I'm going to use this if I get an interview. I'm going to use it as practice because academic interviews are a whole thing. You know, they're all day. You have to give a presentation. It's a very, very strenuous, arduous thing to do. And so I was like, I'm just going to use this as practice. And so I drive up to Baltimore. I have this wonderful day there, and I come home, and my husband says, "Oh, how did it go?" I said, "Oh, I just loved it. I think that, I really think that everybody liked me too. It felt that way, and it's just the job is so great, and the building is beautiful, and the commute's kind of hell. But you know, like you know, I've I've had a hellish commute before. It's okay, but I'm not going to get it. And I got offered it. <laughs> <laughs> and after three years there, uh, I was notified that there would be a kind of a plum position opening up in an institution in downtown DC. And so I applied for that, being very happy and kind of thinking, well, just keep my hand in, just, you know, it's an opportunity. And uh, I got it. And I've been there for over nine years. Oh, my gosh. Nice. I have to so ask, though, how- like, when did you get rid of the, the BlackBerry? Where did the BlackBerry go? <laughs> Oh, well, the BlackBerry belonged to my former employer, and they were very, okay. very, they were very concerned that I leave all of my technology behind. I'm like, honey, you can have this thing, okay? <laughs> Please take it. <laughs> you can have it. I don't want it. I never wanted it. Um, talk about always on. It was just very bad. Anyway, I'm sorry that was so long-winded, but it's sort no, of- No, that is so it's... cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Well, are you ready to get into some icebreakers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I even have notes. Oh, excellent. (laughs) That's the best. Okay. Yes. (laughs) If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Um, It's kind of less this than it used to be. Uh, I have mellowed as I've aged, but I wrote verbal blunt force trauma ahead. (laughs) Okay. Can you can you explain? (laughs) Yeah, I I mentioned that I had gone to a prep school, and when you go to prep schools, that you they interview you. And sometimes they interview your parents too. And sometimes they interview all together and sometimes they interview you separately. And so I got interviewed at the prep school that I actually ended up going to. And um, this lovely woman interviewed me and had a nice chat with her. And I go out in the waiting room, my parents go in and my mother comes out and says, Mary Murray described you as forthright. (laughs) 
She said, that might be the best single word description for my daughter ever. (laughs) So yeah, that's me. Excellent. If you were to choose a word for 2023, what would it be? Adapt. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm going from being a self-published author to being a traditionally published author. And boy, howdy, am I learning some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us the first three songs on the soundtrack to your life and what they say about you. Okay. I I realized afterwards that it's kind of embarrassing that these are all really sort of story related. Wow. (laughs) Um, And so the first one is Brandy Carlisle, the story, literally. Okay. Um, And part of it is because it begins, I mean, she wrote, she wrote this with, with her writing partners, when she was so young, but it starts all of these lines upon my face, tell you the story of who I am. And And then it goes on to say, but these stories don't mean anything when you've got no one to tell them to. It's true. I was made for you. Mm, Okay. And I am incredibly fortunate in that I have a husband who is made for me, honestly. And we are also a second chance story. So I really lucked out. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, So yeah. So that's, and Brandi Carlisle is just, she's become one of my favorite artists ever. Amazing. Yeah. Number two, and I'm going to get possibly emotional because this song just makes me emotional. So bear with me. Um, Sarah Bareilles' Orpheus. Um, I love because her. it's so oh God. Olivia Waite introduced me to this song a few years ago on Twitter, and I just I, pre- I I first listened to it probably with tears in my eyes because the lyrics are just so earnest. Mm-hmm. There, you know, it starts you know, or the, the the chorus goes, "Don't you turn like Orpheus? Just stay here, hold me in the dark, and when the day appears, we'll say we did not give up on love today." Yeah, told you I was going to get emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I cannot listen to Gravity with by her without crying every yeah. single time. <laughs> yeah. So She's good. just... Oh, 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 oh. Um, the last one is kind of a deep cut unless you're really into um, folk rock and close harmony, which I'm into both a lot. Uh, it's a band called The Whale and Jennies. And um, the song and the album is called Bright Morning Stars. And uh, I just... Whenever I think of writing, I think of this song because I actually wrote my second manuscript practically listening to this thing on repeat. Wow. And it's just, it's got, it's got these beautiful female harmonies. It's three singers. um, And it's just, just lovely. Love that. Well, we love to hear romance origin stories. Can you share with us how you became a romance reader? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I was a romance reader before I knew I was a romance reader because uh, my grandmother, who's still alive at 102, by the way. Oh, shout um, out to grandmother. Shout out to grandma who still lives in her own home in Indiana. Um, <laughs> so she lives in Indiana and you know I'm an only child. And my mom and I would go out every year in July and go to grandma's house. And after the first day, it was sort of like, there's nothing to do. <laughs> and uh, my, my, I, I had had my. Like, it might sound terrible, but I had this lovely little kind of basement bedroom, if you will, and, um, and it was lovely because it was nice and cool. And my grandmother didn't have air conditioning. It was July in Indiana, and um, she had stacks and stacks and stacks of back issues of Good Housekeeping magazine. And in the 1980s, Good Housekeepings had like all of their glossy color photo color photograph pages, but in the middle, they had on rough usually I think it was pink paper, a category romance. And so when I was like 12 years old, I inhaled dozens of these because I was so bored. <laughs> and 
<laughs> and they were there. And I was I was one of those kids that was forever running out of things to read. I'm sort of a natural speed reader and I just plow through everything. Um, and so, you know, and then I got older and I thought, oh, these, there are books that I should read because, you know, like so many other people, I went through, you know, that kind of evolution of what does literature mean to you and what are you supposed to take away from it? And, you know, and, 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 and who's saying should. Right. Um, and I, you know, realized that I was really, I went through a huge hair phase where mm-hmm. I was just, you know, all, you know, I have a weekly, we have a soaking tub in our, in our house and I, I would have my weekly bath and I would usually be rereading a hair. <laughs> was she your years. first like historical? Probably. Yeah. And my mm-hmm. mom was forever telling me, she's like, oh my God, you should, you should read, you should read hair. You'd love hair. And the thing is, especially for my mom, the kiss of death for me is for her to say, oh, you would love this. You must read it. And so okay. <laughs> My, my ornery gene kicks in and I go, no, I don't. <laughs> so I avoided hair for probably at least a decade. Yeah. And then finally, then finally got over myself and, and picked up picked up one out of desperation. I was visiting a friend and we got our wires crossed. This is before cell phones were ubiquitous. And I was in this sort of northern Maine town, small city. And they had a, a bookstore that had a used section. And I picked up... Um, Christ, I can't remember which, I can't, can't remember the title of it, but, and I sat in the bottom of, of my friend's garden and in the sunshine, it was one of those sort of heat well kind of gardens and you had a stone wall. You could sort of, even though it was not, it was cold out, but I, it was like, I could sit there and, and sort of soak up the sunshine and it was lovely. And I, I started reading this book and it was just, it had me by the throat. Wow. And, um, took me a few years to, to move on. I remember at that time too, my same friend lent me the, it was the abridged, version of the tape of the third Highlander or Gabaldon Highlander series. Oh. The third the third book in that series. Uh and I listened to that on the way home. So I was kind of being sort of stealth introduced <laughs> to romance since sort of almost by desperation because you know I was driving a 1980 diesel rabbit or something like that. And you know, <laughs> like, oh, like nice. just have to have to like you know, long main highways down back into New Hampshire where I, where I lived. And, uh, and so then finally, I, it, about maybe 10 years ago, I realized that <clears throat> if, a, if a story contained a love story and it didn't end happily, I was not happy about it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I love books like Paladin of Souls is one of my favorite. Um, and, you know, because I've been a big fantasy reader, especially as, as a teen. And I realized that I was really, really there for the romance plot. Mm-hmm. And I went, Okay, we'll just cut to the chase. Just read romance. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted those happy endings and I knew where to find them guaranteed. And I I think I had started reading Smart Bitches Trashy Books around the same time and listening to her podcast. And I I had followed Rachel Herron's blog for quite a while. we kind of knew mutual people and stuff. And, uh, and I think I got to her actually probably via fiber arts because I, you know, I was a, a very avid knitter. I'm an occasional knitter now, but so it's kind of, if I unpick the history, it's probably a little less straight line than it looks if I kind of think about it in a shallow way. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, I came to romance late. Like I, I didn't read my first till 2017. But when I like hearing you say like, if I look back on it, it's not so like straight and narrow. Like that's how it was for me. I think I've, I've read multiple books throughout the year, throughout the mm-hmm. years where I'm like, you know, this didn't necessarily have a happy ever after, but I was in it for the love story the whole time. Like you have so many of the experiences that I think finally you're like, I just want to read this, you know, and and finally mm-hmm. you, you you give it a try and it's just wonderful. <laughs> it's like, this mm-hmm. is where I should have been the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. 
and then, and then you kind of get into the, the the dodgy area of of like free books and going, oh well, I don't love all of these, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> and and uh, and you kind of try to figure out where your sweet spot is and how to find those books that really ping your head. Yeah. I just hate that I missed the days of like romance being in magazines. Like I know Women's mm. Day will do like the holiday issues or the summer issues. And I tweeted them this year. I'm like, where's the holiday issue? And they're like, we're not doing it this year. And I'm like, oh my God, no. Back in October, you announced on Twitter that you signed yeah. a three book deal with Harlequin for their yeah. currently unnamed imprint. Congratulations. Um, I can't wait to find out what it's going to be called. Okay. 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 They're calling it the, right now. They're calling it the new sexy contemporary line. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron and it's I like, did an well, episode recently where we were talking about what right. it wouldn't be called. <laughs> Just hoping right. it may spark some inspiration. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, hey, new sexy contemporary is what it says on the tin. Yeah. <laughs> It's just um, not catchy. <laughs> not, yeah. From what we've seen online, your book right now is called Hearts on Fire. And that's mm -hmm. book one in your series. Can you tell yep. us what it's about? And is there anything you can tell us about the rest of the series? Tell <laughs> us all the things. Okay. So um, I'm pretty, I've been given a pretty wide brief in terms of whether or not it is a series. I kind of do want to make it a series because I like writing in series. Um, and my series that I've self-published, they're all, they all could be read as standalones. So I like, I like kind of that duality of you get the little extra special, oh, I see them again. Mm -hmm. um, but you don't have to have all of the backstory. So that's kind of the sweet spot where I try to write in series. Um, so Hearts on Fire, my actually current fave potential title is In a Hot Minute. Ooh, ooh, that sound. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I always have to have a title really almost before I start writing. There's something about it, like, because I started, I started writing the the synopsis, and it was sort of like Harlequin proposal, something, something, you know. And it was like, <laughs> it's not inspiring. Uh huh. Um, and so, so backing up a little bit. Um, first of all, John Jacobson. Uh, was familiar with my work and um, and they contacted me and said, hey, you know, we're making some changes at Desire. What they meant was Desire is going away um, and you know, wanted to have a call. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay. Sure. I, I'm so glad because I was wondering, did you like submit to like a regular line? Like, you know, one of the lines we already have and then like- I, I have. Okay, I've submitted okay. several times to Karina, okay. Um, okay. which is how they knew- my work mostly. Um, and then, um, so we had a little chat and, uh, I have, of course, my, my notebook of ideas, you know, sort of the Island of misfit toys. And <laughs> about five years ago, there had been this article about this guy who'd gotten dumped. His, he was an English guy. And in order to win his ex back, he decided he was going to play a piano on the town green until she took him back. I really loathe coercive public displays like this. Like the idea, yeah. idea of a jumbotron <laughs> proposal could probably give me hives without me even being the object of it. Okay. So my first reaction was like, my God, I'd want to set the piano on fire. And, and so, and I was like, and I, and I was like, well, that isn't exactly a romance story. How do you make that into a romance story? Because sometimes like, sometimes you have these ideas and you think there's, there's, there's probably no way that it's going to ever be a romance story. And then I thought, well, what if the meat cute was with the fireman who came <laughs> to the call? That was the idea. And John and I batted a couple tropes back and forth. And I was, I asked, do I have to write a full manuscript or can I write a proposal and a synopsis and a few chapters? And 
they said, oh, three chapters and a synopsis should do it. And I thought, okay, here goes nothing. And I um, I went away and uh, we decided on a fake dating trope because when you've got the ex, you know, prowling around and being a pain in the neck, um, what better way to drive him off than to be you know, sort of claimed, quote unquote, mm-hmm. by another man. Sexy firefighter. And sexy firefighter, who is a total, as his sister calls him, a total squishmallow <laughs> on the inside. <laughs> And so I start writing this thing and I, 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 I sort of wrote the first three chapters and the synopsis kind of in tandem because I was kind of pantsing the first three chapters and feeling my way through these characters. And then I was sort of like, oh, how is this going to play out? And how do they like get in the public eye so that the ex gets the message? And, you know, I'll, you know kind of solving all of those problems via plotting. And also, how, how does she try to set a fire, a piano on fire and not go to jail? <laughs> and my, 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 my solution to that was that she's really inept with her, like, she doesn't really know how lighters work these days. She thought, you know, she thought that they're like, just, and they go on and she doesn't realize it's got a safety and she's, she's, you know, kind of adorably inept at the whole, the whole yeah. thing, but she's just <laughs> flaming mad. Right. And, um, and so I wrote these three chapters and the synopsis. Um, I'm very dear friends with Jace Ellis, who you may know. Um, and she and I, she was lovely beta read and gave me some fantastic suggestions. And I went back and I rewrote and um, sent it back to her. I said, what do you think? And she said, oh, this, this is great. Go for it. So I sent it to uh, to John on uh, Labor Day, like literally on Labor Day morning. I was, you know, how you kind of get that. I've got to get this off my desk. I, if I if I tinker with it one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. Kind of mm-hmm. headspace. Yeah. By the end of the day, they had emailed me and said, "I know I shouldn't be working on a holiday, but I just I saw this and I had to open it, and I really like it." <laughs> <laughs> we we love John. <laughs> I love John so much. I, they're just the loveliest, kindest soul, and and so such an such a discerning eye, and so just yeah, just wonderful. And so I was like, okay, and I I had I had had an agent previously for about four years, and she and I parted ways close to the beginning of the pandemic because we'd sent a bunch of stuff out to the market, and nothing had sold, and we kind of had this like, well, I guess you know we like each other, and you know she liked my work and all everything, but it just wasn't working, and so we parted ways, and. I had about six months before this all happened, I had started querying again with a women's fiction manuscript. And I had had one outstanding request for the full that I had sent to this this agent. So I get another text from John in like a week and a half after I had sent the, the manuscript in. And I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be, and it was like, do you have time for a call? And I thought, okay, it's going to be revised and resubmit. Or can we have a few more chapters to see where this is going or something? And I was offered a two book deal. Okay. And I was quietly losing my mind. And so I said, you know, can I have a week to see if I can get in touch with this agent who's previously been interested possibly in looking at my work? And um, John said, yeah, that works for me. And so they, John did me up a a, a sort of a mini deal memo to, to give the agent an idea of what this would be like. And so I said that and the materials that I had submitted to Harlequin to her and said, you know, new subject line, different project, would you know, would you be interested in talking about possible representation? So the next day I had yet another call. And by the end of that call, I was represented um, by Katie Shea Boutillier at Donald J. Mass Agency, which is like, you know, boom, losing my mind, right? So then in the background, my husband has had an ongoing health issue, which is serious enough that he sometimes gets hospitalized, but 
it's more like a monitoring thing. And this happens to him again. And I'm kind of like back and forth to urgent care and, you know, figuring things out. And, and I, I'm sitting there of an evening all by myself in my house. And I get an email from Katie, my agent. And she said, um, you know, I was trying for different, you know, different things and um, trying to negotiate you something out of, you know, more out of this. And they offered you another book. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. Do you want it? And I'm like, do I want it? Yes. Yes, I want it. Yes, thank you very much. I want it. <laughs> so, you know, that's how that happened. And then, you know, on top of all of this, just as a side note, when we were first talking, she's she's the subrights director at at uh, DJM, and she said, "Oh, I'll see, I'll see if I can get you uh, a, an audiobook deal for your." self-published stuff. And I thought, go for it, honey. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And then about a month, month and a half later, I get an email in my inbox, audio offer from Tantor. Oh my God. The Center Stage series. So the Center Stage series, the first acting up will come out in audio right before my birthday in late March. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So, I mean, I am just, I feel so, so incredibly fortunate. I'm one of those sort of breach birth into traditional publishing kind of stories. Um, and here I am. It's, yeah. it's, it's been a wild ride. From the Blackberry days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, for readers who may be new to your bibliography, how would you describe the books that you enjoy writing? Um, I enjoy, well, I really enjoy writing men who are absolutely, because I, I write male MF. Um, I enjoy writing men who are absolutely gonzo for usually these kind of slightly wary, possibly difficult, sometimes prickly women. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love <laughs> to it. To the point where my old agent used to, her, her major note was, make him struggle more. Okay. And I finally said to her, you know, we refer to my, my husband as Mr. B on Twitter. And I finally said to her, I said, I said well, Amy, I've put a lot of, I mean, none of these guys are Mr. B, but they all have some of him in there. And she kind of went, hmm, yeah, okay. I've met him. I can see that. They can struggle more. <laughs> so I, I have a hard time making, doing guys who, who, are the inst- instigator of the bleak moment. I would say the, and I have a hard time writing bleak moments, honestly. And I'd say that the exception to that rule, the biggest exception is method acting. Okay. Because it's definitely one of my, you know, he's a, it, it, it's, it's, it's the most sort of Harlequin presents style book I've ever written because it's kind of a very high powered Washington DC lobbyist. How do you make a Washington DC lobbyist not a bad guy? You make him a lobbyist for STEM education. Um, <laughs> um, and she's an actress who is like really a very, very unusual bootstrap success story. And she's, he's incredibly privileged and he does not recognize his privilege and he keeps stepping in it because you know, he assumes things about her and her background and like what may or may not have happened to her and what she might might or might not have done to survive when she left her family, leaving all of this kind of vague. Um, and um, and so he really steps in it and she just says, if, if, if that's what you think that I, I can't, I can't do this. And she walks out. And um, so that's, that's a real anomaly, but it's also, it's my favorite book in that series too. <laughs> 
love it. So oh, yeah. can't wait for these to be on audio. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's it's a newer narrator, I believe. I I haven't seen very much from her, but but I did get a wonderful audition tape from her. Uh, her name is Monica Plant, and uh, one of the funny things is that my husband and I were big fans of the TV series, the TV evening soap Nashville, and um, and she was on it. Oh, oh, awesome! That is yeah. Awesome. She had she. I think I think she was only in one season, but she played uh, the mayor Teddy's clandestine girlfriend, who I believe was also a prostitute. So you know, <laughs> it's just gonna be great. Nashville <laughs> drama, boom, yeah. But uh, so yeah, so and I I love her voice. She's got a great kind of the type of voice that the people seem to be looking for in audiobooks these days. Is kind of got a, a bit of a rasp, but she's got some range, and it's, it's good. Well, we would love to hear from you, since I mean, everyone is super. Excited excited and anticipating this new unnamed line, which I feel at this point, it's just going to be Harlequin unnamed. Um, (laughs) You know, as a writer, as as one of the like, you know, first names that we've seen, what are you excited about for it? I love that. First of all, the the major brief is to make them unabashedly sexy. Oh, Aaron, what about Harlequin unabashed? (laughs) I I, I, I think it's the best we've come up with. (laughs) <laughs> we have been like creating a list of yeah. names that we would love to see. It. But here's the other thing is that is that there's no location limit and there's no wealth limit. Okay. So, you know, one of the things I have a hard time is writing the over the top mega wealth. I have I have serious ethical issues with billionaires as romance heroes. I mean, because it's impossible to get that much money without exploiting people. It's just, it just is. And um, and so that's one of the reasons why John thought that this line might be right for me, because I write people who are, even if they're in glamorous careers, like, you know, actress, they are real, you know, they have, they're, they are very real people. And, and not to say that the people who write high glamour and, and all of that don't write real people, but I don't know, there's just something about my writing that has always caused editors at Harlequin, especially to say, this doesn't quite fit for us. And I think it's because just, just this, you know, like, you know, my first book acting up the, the hero and the heroine are a theater director and a stage manager, and they've been best friends since college. And this, they're very much in that sort of regional theater, working actor, working director space. Like they're, they're, they're not struggling per se, but they're also, they haven't made it. They're, you know, it's, they're, they're more precarious. Um, and so, <clears throat> and you don't get me wrong. I love the banana pants over the top stuff as much as the next reader, you know, um, you know, one of my friends is, is Kelly Anthony and she, you know, she writes for presents and it's like, go for it, honey, write your Royal people. You know, I, I will read it. It'll be fun. Um, I, but I just can't seem to usually write that. So I'm really thrilled to, to have the opportunity and be encouraged to write the kinds of characters that I really believe I'm good at. I love that you said that because I, I think that I, I I think that's exactly why I am excited for this series. Um because when it when it comes to I mean, you have presents and there the wealth is definitely there, but that's definitely a fairy tale. And Aaron, this is something you and I have talked about. Like it can be hard, especially with us two trying to write. Like it's hard for me to try and write somebody that's extremely wealthy because uh, I'm I live in I live in Texas and there are a lot of times where I'm living paycheck to paycheck, you know. So like mm-hmm. stretching my mind, it's it's hard even to even imagine the privilege of all that. So I I do think that this new line will be a real sweet spot because you know with presents and with desire, wealth is just not an issue, right? And the only right. other th- and then like next in line is like special edition, but the focus there is on family. You have. Hard 
heartwarming right. and it's it's very it's sweet and it's family and it's cowboys. There's nothing really in the in the middle, you know, even with romance, right. there is wealth there, you know. So I right. think that this new line is going to be like the perfect in between, like the sweet spot. I'm really hoping you're right because I, it's the kind of stuff I like to to write, and it's honestly the kind of thing I like to read the most too. Um, like I said, I do read other stuff, but but I, I really I really love people seeing people who are good at their careers and seeing a little bit of research from the writer on like what that looks like. Um, you know, I, I I've always been a big fan of Leverage, the television show, and uh, I believe it was John Rogers who who was the showrunner for that show who coined the term competence porn. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I it, you know because he he said that he used to write a blog production blog about the show when it was first airing, and he said that they worried a lot in the writers' room about the the team like being in the conference room and planning the job, and 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 they realized that. The audience loved that. The audience loved seeing how the sausage was made. They didn't just want to see, you know, Gina Bellman do 17 different accents in one episode and, you know, Beth Reesgraf jump off of a tower and rappel down 50 stories. They wanted to see like how does how do you, does this all lock together and how does the planning work? And so and I kind of want to see that too. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in like always a heist situation, but you know, for instance, my, my the heroine of the book that I um, hearts on fire in a hot minute. Um, and by the way, one of the interesting things about becoming going from being a self published author to a traditional published author is that you don't really have a you don't have the final say over what that title looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll see what we'll see what it ends up being called. Um, but um, I hope it's in a hot minute. <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah, I, I really because like I actually used I used that phrase in the book. And then the heroine kind of teases the hero. She's like, "Is that is that your your squad motto?" <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, "We actually don't have one." And she's like, "Well, you should." <laughs> um, so so um, yeah, I, I like to see you know. And she's a college professor, and so yeah, I'm an academic. I know a little bit what that, that looks like. I'm overeducated as heck, and also too. And I've been a TA, and I've you know seen even you know in the areas that I have not been directly like a college professor, I have been adjacent enough, I believe, to sort of know what that looks like and, you know, know a little bit of the, and you don't want to, you don't want to see her like doing the entire grind of what creating a syllabus looks like, because nobody wants to see that. But, you know, I've created a syllabi, I've created syllabi and, and it's, it's surprisingly hard. Uh, and so just a couple of details about like why it's hard and, and, you know, and why when her parents call when she's in the middle of trying to get started with this, it's totally annoying because it's broken her flow. Um, you know, th- those kind of things. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting balance to, to strike in terms of delving into somebody's job a lot, a lot, a lot. And it being too, like too much detail, like you don't want the slog of exactly how I've watched many, many YouTube videos as to how firefighters get kitted out in their uniforms. And you don't want, you know, first you put on the hood and then you put on your pants and then you put, put your str- shoulder, you don't want all that. But, you know, a couple of details that reassure somebody who hopefully like somebody like Chris Down Higgins, who's married to a firefighter, um, might recognize that as going, oh, yeah, she's she's she knows. She knows what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've self-published your Center Stage series, the Golden Years series and the All For You series. What (laughs) advice would you give to an inspiring writer looking to take the self-publishing route? (sighs) 
So first of all, the Golden Years series so far is notional because there's only one novella in it, but I have written a second one and might, might cross fingers be able to release that this year. I'm not sure. Uh, my first priority has to be to my contracted work, of course. Um, but uh, but I do love that novella. It's called The Wedding Bait. And it's basically, if you've ever seen the Deborah Messing, uh, Dermot Mulroney book from the early 2000s, where she has to hire a an escort to go with her to her sister's weekend wedding in England. Um, this is that, but she's not, my heroine is not the sister of the bride. She's the mother of the bride. <laughs> oh, love it. <laughs> yeah. And my mom said, thinks it's the best thing I've ever published. <laughs> Shout out to mom. <laughs> Shout out to mom. So anyway, uh, it, it, aspiring writer advice. First of all, follow Zoe York. Oh, Zoe yeah. is yeah. the, she is savvy, so savvy about the entire self-publishing business. She writes these incredible threads. She's written several books on self-publishing and marketing. Um, she and She's just incredibly generous with her time and her knowledge. Uh, so take advantage of all of that free information that she's putting out there because she certainly does not have to do this. Um, figure out all the backend stuff like formatting. Like, do you have a Mac? Can you purchase vellum? Maybe can you afford to purchase vellum? Uh, what are the alternatives to vellum? I happen to love vellum. It's very sort of plug and play uh, formatting, which I find very useful. Um, but I understand that not everybody could necessarily afford that. Um, figure out how KDP and draft to digital work before you pull the trigger, because there are, it's, it's so easy to get very eager to get your work out there. And then you end up with something that's rushed. And people can tell. Um, so, and also figure out uh, what your budget is going to be for editing and covers, uh, because that's important. You do need to have other eyes on your work. And you know, sometimes if you've got a really great editorial critique partner, maybe you don't need to pay for editing because you're paying for paying for it in kind with you know swapping manuscripts. I don't know. I'm not you. Um, figure out if you want to be in paperback or not. Do you want to just just be digital because that's a lot less expensive. Um, and you're probably not going to be making money on this lark for a while unless you just happen to hit it really lucky in terms of timing and the market and, you know, whatever you, your reach might be on various social media platforms. Um, so, you know, best of luck to you. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's And I'm not saying that sarcastically. I'm saying it truthfully. It's, it's you really need, one of the reasons why I resisted self-publishing for so long and, you know, tried to, to get into TradPub first was because I knew that You've got to be good at a lot of different things. And I'm honestly not great at marketing. Um, it's a really different skill than writing books. Yeah. So you have to promote yourself and like, yeah, who wants to do that? Mm -mm. Well, also, I mean, when you're writing a book, you're so deep into the weeds that trying to, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why these sort of tropes and these, these arrow visual um, graphics for, for, you know, self, for, for self-published authors are so popular is because it's like, you can figure out the things the, the, the things that aren't the plot that hook you, like, you know, like what the characters do for a living and, you know, what the what the major tropes are. And, you know, is there a dog or, you know, I don't know. Um, and if that's not, I mean, I've seen a lot of people say that's not the su super most effective thing in the world, but, you know, it's part of the greater, it's one of the bricks in the wall. So if you can, the other, because that's the other thing is that, that there's probably very few people who are going to buy your book based on one five-star Goodreads reviewer tweet, right? It's probably not going to happen. But if it's a, cumul a cumulative thing with, you know, other people, you know, organically raving about it, um, uh, people, you know, talking about it, um, then, you know, then you, you can maybe push toward a sale. Um, but it's, it's a lot. Just even to sell one book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Well, with you having done both, right? Like mm-hmm. starting in that lane. And now Kindle is huge. Like self right. pub is huge. I guess like for somebody that's writing, what advice, like how do you, how do you figure out which lane to even go at this point? Because I mean, self pub is huge. Like I've, feel like it's safe to say like that is what a lot of romance readers are craving is the self-publishing because there's just so much there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there is, there's the the pros to getting a, tr- you know, traditionally published deal as well. So what, what do you say like in this time in romance where it's kind of, I don't know, it's like, it's, I, it, I feel like it'd be hard <laughs> to pick out which lane to go, you know, like, what would you say to that? Well, yeah, I would say just look at look at what you have in terms of if you have a social media presence, what, you know, what is your social media presence? And I'm not just talking about numbers of followers, but you know, what are they talking about? What seems to be pinging their id today? Um, and those things will shift, sadly. It's like you can't, I, I would never say right to market because by the time you've got something out there, it's changed. It's moved on. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the whole like write what you know, write what you love is, is somewhat hackneyed and cliched, but there's also a lot of truth to that hackneyed cliche. Um, so in it, it may take some time for for your writers to find you. There's, there's also ways that you can, you know, build a, an arc um, team that are, is, is, fairly easy. There's a, a, a site called Booksprout. And I it's I don't think there's a free tier anymore for it, but it's reasonably inexpensive. Um, and it has it's, it's kind of got its own net galley-ish built in pool of reviewers who don't necessarily already know you. So that's one way. And sometimes when you're first publishing, you know, like the idea of giving your book away, right. you're trying to make money at this, it can seem like utter banana pants. But you really do need to get those reviews out there to uh, to gain some traction. And one of the first things that I did with Acting Up was I had a pre-order sale for 99 cents. Uh, and so it, on on, uh, on digital and sold quite a lot of copies and quite a lot of copies to people who did not know what to expect from me. So, you know, so the, the reviews kind of are all over the place. There's one, I know they ever say never look at your reviews, but if you're going to pull quotes from reviews, you kind of have to do it. Um so one of the things that that I saw, and I hadn't meant to see it, it was one of those things where I clicked the wrong thing and it hopped right down to the first review. And the title of the review was something like, quite awful, really. <laughs> <laughs> and then I proceeded to read it. And I was like, is this, is this supposed to be about my book? This doesn't sound like my book at all. Yeah. And I forwarded it to a colleague of mine at work who has read all of my stuff. And I was like, Anne, would you, did, what, can you just give me your impression of this? And she she texted me back and she's like, Oh my God, did they read your book? Right. <laughs> you know, and and I know that a lot of people get super upset about stuff like that. And I, I I like to say that having been an actress and having had my my own person critiqued in audition, it's a pretty good proving ground for writing, which is at least one step removed. Um, and I would I would advise people not to think of their writing as is sometimes I hear people refer to their writing as their babies or something like that. And I think that kind of encourages a writer to over identify with their book as an extension of themselves. And I think mm-hmm. that for a lot yeah. of people, I, I also like to say that no advice is universal, not even that. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it encourages them to sort of how, how dare you criticize my child kind of mentality. Yeah, then you're going to take it way too personal. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I understand, I get that it's hard. 
I absolutely get that it's hard. I have bad days. I mean, man, when I was in the rejection trenches before with with with, uh, with traditional publishing, I, I had I had a massive disc herniation uh, in my back, and I have horrible pain days. And I got a round of rejections from my then agent um, on a on a, just a really bad pain day, and she didn't know. Um, but I just I, I just one of the few times I just sat in my office and cried. Because the you know I, I emailed her back I'm like okay um, just FYI bad pain day plus big rejection day equals really really bad day yeah. <laughs> so let's <laughs> no good very we- bad day <laughs> oh, yes thank you Alexander um, <laughs> one of my favorite children's books by the way um, and so so yeah you've got to figure out how to how to protect yourself at the same time as being at least when you're when you're in the critique process or the editing process, being open to criticism. Once it's published, unless you want to revise and republish it, it's done. It's done. Yeah, it's out there. You know, it's I, no I longer really have, yours. You yeah, know? <laughs> and I really, I really take issue with the people who are like, "Oh, well, my my review was intended as a as a critique, so you can learn." It's like it's not your job. As well intentioned as someone might be with that, okay, I hire editors who I know and I trust to review my work and give me feedback. I don't yeah. know you. I don't yeah. know what your what your intentions are. I don't know what your motivations are. I appreciate the intent, but just no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How dare you not learn to write specifically to me? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there are some people like that. And it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, Let's get into some round out questions. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, first up, last, now, next. Tell us your last read, anything you're reading now, and a book you're excited to read next. So my, I am on a huge Kara McKenna binge. Huge. Okay. Not that she's got the most enormous backlist and she's not writing anymore. And I have now joined the chorus of people saying, why? Um, because so, so Emma Barry is someone I really trust in terms of recommendations. And I kind of looked at, I had looked at her blurbs in the past and her back cover copy. And I thought ex cons and box uh, underground fight club boxers. And yeah, that doesn't sound like anything I'd like. And then finally, Emma was having a conversation with, um, oh gosh, Kelly Alexander, who I mentioned earlier, they were having a conversation about Carol McKenna. And I'm like, okay, wait, I trust these two a lot. And so I went and I, I got one of her more recommended ones or one of her most recommended ones, uh, which is uh, After Hours. And I devoured it. And I've gone on to read like two either sort of category slash novella length ones that are kind of a duology. They both have a happy ending, by the way. Um, And then um, just read Hard Time, which is her, her, the, the heroine is a librarian, a public librarian who has a prison program who she meets him in prison. I mean, this is usually not the recipe for an Adele. Oh my God, I have to read this. But it's one of the things that Kara McKenna does is she, she writes these mostly men who have been through really, really tough shit, right? Just absolute, just, and that, and somehow they've come out on the other side of it, incredibly caring and generous. And that's, really appeals to me. I mean, that's like I said, you know, the hero of, of in a hot minute, we'll call it that. Um, he's, he's a squish, squish mallet inside. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of got that, he's kind of got that at least visibly hard exterior and this soft interior. And so that Kara writes that and I'm currently, st- I just started her, um, it might've been the last series that she wrote. It's, it kind of from the outside, it looks like motorcycle club, but it is not. It's, 
it's dudes who ride motorcycles, but it's it's not an it's not MC. Um, so when I discovered that, I was kind of like, uh, it's it's called Lay It Down. Uh, so that's my current read. And what am I looking forward to next? Book two in that series. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I binge, I binge hard. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> Are you a plotter, pantser, or a mix of both? Uh, by now, I'm a mix of both. Um, I started out as a heavy-duty pantser. I just love discovery on page, uh, and I, what I but I kind of I was kind of I was a pantser, but with 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 an aid. I had a secret weapon because what I was doing as I was my first two manuscripts, first one will definitely never see the light of day. The second one probably will never see the light of day. Um, I was writing modern spins on Jane Austen plots. So I had Jane Austen, you know, I call her Jane, we're tight. Um, <laughs> I had I had her novels as kind of my outline. Um, and so the first one was a spin on Persuasion, which is my favorite book. And the second one was called Sense, Se- Software and Sensibility. Software uh, and Sensibility. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. So and 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 my agent actually expressed some interest in that one. So she's she's got that one. We'll see if she thinks it's worth polishing up and sending out. It's literally the second thing I wrote in term, in, in novel length. Um, so if she says yeah, no, I, I, I don't think this can ever fly, I I would completely agree that that's a possibility. Um, but so that I've graduated, and so acting up is actually a Lady Susan pastiche as well. Um, so sort of going for the Jane Austen deep cuts. Um, which is why at the end of most every chapter, there is a, an email exchange between Susan, the actress, and her actress frenemy, Alicia Johnson, because Lady Susan is an epistolary novel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. so, so I wanted to have a nod to that. And when people who have read Lady Susan realize this, they go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I did have one reviewer who caught that it was that caught that it was a spin on Lady Susan, so that was fun. Um, and I also had a, I had a critique partner who caught that my hero was based on uh, Paul Gross's character in the Canadian workplace comedy Slings and Arrows, which is set in a fictionalized uh, Shakespeare festival. So there's there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, and then from there on, I I really pantsed the rest of the Center Stage series. And um, then I, I've written a couple of women's fictions that I really, I really needed to, to plot out one, one because it was a dual timeline. Um, and uh, and then of course when I, I'm writing for Harlequin, I have to give them a synopsis. Mm-hmm. And I try to write the synopsis loosely enough so that I have some, you know, I, I can give the, I could show them where I'm going with it. I can give them some structure, but I also have room for for discovery because there are these weird aha moments sometimes when you're writing where you go, oh, that's why they're the way they are. Yeah. Which sounds absurd because it all came, as, as my stepbrother would say, it's came from your brain. <laughs> I'm like, I know, honey, but my brain works in mysterious ways. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell us a book on your keeper shelf. I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say Kit Roka's entire Mercenary Librarian series. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I love, I love the way they write about complex issues and how individuals and systems respond to them. And I loved it in the Beyond series. And they've just seemed to have taken that whole world and made it even deeper and richer in the series. And I'm so excited to see what they're going to come up with next, because they're going to do a straight up fantasy novel next, or series. And that I think that's I, I, I'm, I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what they do. I love I love their work. 
what you decide you want takeout for dinner tonight, where do you order from, and what's your order? So again, I'm going to cheat. Um, anybody who follows me, especially on Instagram, knows that Mr. B and I kind of have a standing weekly date at a local winery. And um, it's it's really lovely. We'll either meet friends there or we'll have uh, just what a friend of ours calls our silent book club, where we'll sit with our Kindles and you know have wine. And then oh, they, have, awesome. they, have a, they have a rota of food trucks who come in to supply food. And so it's everything from Neapolitan pizza to paella to uh, barbecue to, oh gosh, what else? Um, just all kinds of stuff. So it would be whatever, it's a, it's a Friday night and whatever food truck is there. I love that. Oh God, Excellent. a winery and a bunch of food trucks. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> usually at most, it's, at most it's two food trucks. You know, like, so, so you might have a, a, a choice, but usually it, especially in, in the wintertime, it's just, just one and it doesn't matter. They, you know, they've, they've got the greatest thing. Oh, the, but the one we had, this was, we usually go Saturday afternoon. The one we had this, this time is an Israeli food truck. It's called Salat Mediterranean. It was, and they have this funky like burger in a pita thing that's really seasoned. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good. It's so good. It's so good. (laughs) And it's so much food. I always have to take half of it home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Okay. Adults need to own their own shit. Okay. And what I mean by that is there is nothing more juvenile than a grown person basically saying, look what you made me do. Yeah. You need to, if you (laughs) did a thing, you did it. And yeah, you may have been provoked, but you did it, right? Yeah. So that that's something that that really fries me. Yeah. When people. Oh, I'm so big on that accountability. Be accountable yes. for your own stuff, please. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm an Aries. You know. <laughs> oh, same. <laughs> Strong reactions to this kind of thing. <laughs> this is justice, people. <laughs> well, what's one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever received? Okay, so when I was young. I was a bulldog. You mentioned earlier she's, that, that, you know, like, what's what's a hill that you would absolutely die on? I have very few hills I'd die on these days. Um, you know, I'm I'm older now. I have mellowed. Uh, as a younger person, I don't think there was a hill I would not die on. Uh, it was, you know, this is what happens when you go to, when you were, when you, not only when you go to law school, but if you're the kind of person who thinks that going to law school is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just so I have I have said in class because I teach legal research and I often have some. It's going to be a young man who starts to argue with the premise of underlying, you know, the the research question. And I have learned to look at them and say, okay, look, we have fifty five minutes, and I really need to get through this. So if you want to talk about the the hypothetical, you can see me after class. But here's one of the things I want you to take home. You're going to learn a lot of things in law school, and hopefully, one of them is going to be. Maybe everything can be argued, but not everything should be argued. Right. Choose your battles. <laughs> yeah. Choose yeah. your battles. Okay. So the hardest piece of advice I was given when I was younger was just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Let it go. Let it be. Yeah. Let it be. Just, <laughs> yes, yes. Maybe it's not fair. Just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> This has just been the best. This has been the coolest. <laughs> oh, thanks. I've, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell everyone where they can keep up with you online. Well, I have a website that contains a link to sign up for my newsletter. It's usually just about monthly. I don't usually do much more than that unless I've got some sort of breaking news thing. And it's not always about books. It's I can tell you a little bit about my life if that interests you at all. I understand if it wouldn't. Uh, so that's AdeleBuck.com. Very easy. Um, I'm on Twitter as long as it lasts at underscore AdeleBuck. Um, and I'm on Instagram at the same underscore, uh, 
at, at underscore Adele Buck. Um, I'm on a couple of other platforms, but those are really the major places that where if you're at all interested, that's where you can find me. Well, thank you so much for letting us pick your brain. You have to come back. We have to talk Ugh. about in a hot minute. John, if you're listening, let's keep that as the title. <laughs> yes. <laughs> John is so supportive of us. So I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they're listening. Just just saying, John, in a hot minute. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe the marketing t- company, marketing team or somebody else will come up with an even better title. I'm, I'm open to the universe. <laughs> I know. Right? I know. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will have all the links to where people can keep up with you as well as where they can get your current books. And we just cannot wait. So thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight.